In honor of it being Father's Day, uh, we're going to begin by playing uh, the WD-40 game. All right? So here we go. Uses or not, um, I'm going to give you guys a possible use, and you let me know if that's either a real use for WD-40 or a fake use for WD-40. All right? Let's see how this goes. Um, you can use spray WD-40 on the bottoms of uh, chain-link fences around gardens to keep rabbits and rodents away. How many of you think that's a real use? Real use? Okay, some. Uh, who thinks it's a fake use? All right, there's some fake use. That is a real use, apparently. Now, I haven't tried all these out, so I'm taking the creator of this game's word that these are true. All right? All right, next one. Use full cans of WD-40 as bookends. Is that a possible use? How many of you say that's a, that could be a real use? Yeah? Yeah? All right. That is a real use. You can use cans of WD-40 as bookends. They, they hold your books up. All right? So good for those of us who like books and keep adding more and more to our shelves. When you need to put a can of WD-40 in there to hold them up. All right. WD-40 helps clean messes from... Uh, crevices and holes in clunker vans. How many of that's a real? How many of you actually have that van and use the W? Okay. Yeah. All right. Anybody think that's a fake use? Fake use. Okay. That is a real use. So there you go. All right. Next one. You can spray WD-40 inside your cell phone charger port to clean out lint. How many of you think that's a real use? Okay, that is not a real use. So, so kids, don't do that. Uh, your father will probably end up buying, having to buy you a new phone. Um, so don't do that. All right, WD-40 lubricates moving parts on the Black Spider ride in Coney Island Amusement Park. How many think that's a real use? All right, yeah, real use? Okay, real use. Spray WD-40 on cleats before playing in rainy weather to keep mud from sticking. How many of you think that's actually a real use that actually works? Okay, anybody think that's completely baloney? All right, completely fake. Anybody willing to? Okay. That is actually a real use, apparently. So there you go, sports players. Uh, WD-40 removes toothpaste buildup from your, from your toothbrush. All right. Anybody think that's a real use? Anybody actually tried that yet? <laughs> Okay, all right, that is definitely a fake use. All right, you can spray WD-40 around door seals to keep out bugs. Real use, fake use, something real, anybody think fake? All right, that is actually a fake use, according to, but you can try it at home. I'm not, I won't stop you from trying it at home to see if it works. All right, use WD-40 in art projects. The way the chemicals and oils react with paint is unique. Anybody think that that's a real use? Anybody, everybody, fake use? Everybody thinking fake use, maybe? That is apparently actually a real use. All right. I think I have one or two more. Uh, WD-40 prevents the hydraulic unit on a, um, is that a BO-105 or a B-0-105? Anybody know helicopters? BO? Looks like BO. BO just always stands for body odor for me, so I thought maybe it was different. But BO-105 helicopter from malfunctioning. How many think that's a real use? Okay, sure. Yeah, that's a real use. All right, spray WD-40 on flowers to help them keep their color longer. Any, any gardeners out there tried this one? Fake use, real use, who thinks real use? Nobody. All right, everybody's going for fake use, yeah. 
That's fake use. I think there's one more, maybe two more. Use WD-40 to keep monsters from under your bed. All right, Stan, you, you use that? Okay. All right. That is definitely a fake use there. All right, so that is the WD-40 game. Um, and you all did well. And again, happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Um, we appreciate you and the role you play in your family. Uh, we've been in the book of Proverbs, and we are going to continue in the book of Proverbs today. Um, so if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20, this is our main text, is Proverbs 20 verses 6 and 7 today. Proverbs chapter 20 verses 6 and 7, and I actually have the verses up here on the board as well. I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. Proverbs 20, verse 6 and 7 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find? The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Again, Proverbs 20, verses 6 and 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. And you are a great example and the great God who watches over us, who cares for us, and who is our loving Father. And we thank you for that. We thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, to die on the cross for our sins, that we might be forgiven, that we might have a renewed and right relationship with you. Now, Father, as we look into your word this morning, we ask that you open our hearts, Lord, open our minds to receive your word, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Lord, convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us where we need encouraging. Lord, I just ask that this would be a blessed time, that you would be honored and glorified through what is spoken, the words that I speak, Lord, in the hearts here that are receptive. And God, we thank you for so much for your love. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we've been walking, kind of going through the book of Proverbs, and recently we've been hitting different topics, and so today we're going to focus on fathers, on men, but it, it, again, it'll apply across the board to everybody, uh, but since today is Father's Day, we're going to start with these two verses, Proverbs 20, verses 6 and 7, and a lot of Proverbs often give you a contrast where it's like, don't do this, don't be like this, don't act like this, act like this. Because Proverbs is about following the path of wisdom and staying off the path of folly. At the very beginning of Proverbs, Pastor Todd talked uh, talk quite a bit about this, and it talked about wisdom's calling us and folly's calling us, and which call are you going to respond to? Which path are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the path of wisdom? Are you going to po- follow the path of folly? And now a lot of the other Proverbs give you a, here's the path of folly, here's the path of wisdom. They give you a choice. To make. And so today, beginning with verse 6, we see verse 6 begins by stating that there are many men who proclaim his, steadfast, his own steadfast love. In other words, there is no shortage of people that proclaim their commitment to someone or something. If you, restall, if you can recall back to the, the book of Judges and the story of Gideon, Gideon was a, is a you know, pretty fair, uh, fairly well-known character. Um, the story of Gideon and how Gideon, God chose Gideon to raise up an army to defeat the Midianites who were oppressing the people of Israel. And when, so when Gideon's call first went out for people, hey, we need people for an army because God is going to lead us against the Midianites and give us victory, 
Gideon, the, re- the response from Israel was 32,000 people. 32,000 men came to join the army to, to, to go to war against the Midianites. But when God saw this army, he said to Gideon, your army is too big for me to work with. He said, if, if these guys defeat Midian, Midian, they're going to be like, hey, look what we did. All right. But God wanted them to see the truth and know that it was him behind it. And so God whittled down, if you remember the story, he slowly whittled down Gideon's army. And the first whittling that he did was he told Gideon, go up there and tell everybody, take your 32,000 men that came to, to join the army, tell everybody, if you're afraid and don't want to be here, go home. Okay? And so Gideon got up there and he said to his army, look, if you're, if you're afraid, if you don't want to be, if you really don't want to be here, go home. I don't know if you remember, but two-thirds of his army, 22,000, went home. So over two-thirds of his army decided, hey, we don't really want to be here. Many showed up to be in the army proclaiming their boldness to fight. But when the, the, the question came, you know, do you really want to be here? Is this really you, who you are, wanting to be here, wanting to go fight for God against the Midianites? The many went home. Throughout the passages of Scripture, a majority of the time, it's not a good thing to fall into being a part of the category of the many. It was the many of the spies, 10 out of 12 of them, that, that Moses sent into the land to spy out the Canaanites to see, hey, this is where God wants us to go. What's it look like? And they come back, and 10 out of 12 of them are like, these guys are too strong. These guys are too big. We can't take them. We're going to get defeated. We need to go back to Egypt. All right, it was the many that, that, that didn't follow God's plan. And shortly thereafter, the people of Israel, the many, said, hey, well, because of these spies, we don't want to go into that land. We want to go back to Egypt. We were better off back there. God promised them this land, and it was the many that actually, and actually the majority of people that said, hey, we don't, we don't, we don't want to follow God. We want to go back to Egypt where we felt safer. In the time of Elijah, that many, there were many of the prophets, many of the priests decide to follow the king and queen and go after Baal and worship Baal. And a lot of the people, the many of the people did so as well. And it continues throughout the stories of the Bible where we often see the many going the wrong path. It was more often than not the few that remained faithful to God. And, it, and in that continuity, with, with Pro, Proverbs says this, it says, many are the ones who proclaim their steadfast love. Christians, we are called by Jesus to enter the narrow gate, and he says there are few who find it. In Matthew seven thirteen and 14, he says this, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and way is easy that leads to destruction, And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So look to be a part of the few. Now let me be clear, we're not looking to be different just for the sake of being different. But as Christians, as sojourners on this earth, in this world, our goals, our desires, our motivations are different than those of this world. And so often when push comes to shove, we as Christians should fall into the category of the few because of who we are in Jesus and because of the fact that we follow God. 
there are many who proclaim their steadfast love. It's interesting, moving on to the word proclaim, that the Hebrew word here literally means to call or cry out. It's interesting because it's often used to describe the cry of animals in distress. I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, you've heard animals in distress, whether it's some animal in a trap or your dog whining to go outside or whatever it might be. There is a distinct noise of an animal calling out in distress. And this word that, that, that Solomon is using here saying proclaim is often used in the same way to describe animals calling out in distress as if the many need others to know with urgency that they are loving people, that they want you to know, I'm loving, I'm loving, I'm loving. They're calling out. They're saying it's important that you know this, that I am a loving person. This same Hebrew word is also used in the story of of Joseph in in the book of Genesis. If you remember the story of Joseph, his brothers, um, he was the son of Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, but he showed favoritism toward Joseph, and his other brothers resented him because of that. And so his other brothers captured him, sold him into slavery in Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, he went into service. He was a slave of Potiphar, an official um, in Egypt. And, And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph uh, during the course of his work there at Potiphar's house. And when Joseph fled from that situation, um, Potiphar's wife called out, and Genesis thirty-nine fourteen says this, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see he, talking about Potiphar, Potiphar has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. There's that word, that proclaim word. Later on in the story of Joseph, This word is used again when Joseph meets his brothers. If you remember, his brothers, uh, uh, famine went throughout all the land, Egypt, all the way up in through Canaan. And but Egypt had stored up because of Joseph's wisdom, uh, because of the gifts that God had given him. Um, Joseph and Egypt had stored up food while the rest of the world was starving. And so Jacob and his sons heard that there was food in Egypt. So Jacob sent his sons down to Egypt to go get food. The same sons that had sold Joseph to Egypt as a slave. And so Joseph, in, in meeting up with his brothers, they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And he wanted, he, he did these, uh, he kind of coordinated situations to see if his brothers had really changed or if they were the same brothers that were selfish and hated him to begin with. And in the midst of this, he realized that his brothers had remorse for what they had done to him. And when Joseph was interacting with them, uh, the time came in, in Genesis 45, 1, he, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Okay, Joseph made himself known. Hey, it's, this is me, Joseph. And again, we have the same word here. He kind of cried out. It was something that, that almost like that distress, that unbearable. This is the word, um, and this is the word that is used in Proverbs about the many who proclaim their steadfast love. This word could also be used to describe my two-year-old daughter, um, who early on learned 
that if she was in pain or being mistreated, she could cry out and help would come, right? But now in her small but conniving heart, um, she figured out that that if her brother or one of her sisters is not necessarily doing something wrong, but if it's something she doesn't like or she doesn't approve of, she cries out and screams at the top of her lungs because of her perceived injustice, right? And so in Proverbs 20, verse 6, the many are proclaiming, they are crying out their steadfast love, their, their, their claim to a steadfast love. Now, if you've been um, in church, a uh, student of the Bible for very long, when you see the word steadfast love, something usually comes to mind. And now this is the ESV version. I think the NASB translates it loyalty or something similar. But the Hebrew word here is the same, is the same word. It's, it's hased. You know, and if you study, if you've, if you've been around the church a lot, you've, you've heard the, the hased, that, that loving faithfulness, that steady, steadfast love of God is often used when we, when we describe it, or it's described in the Bible as hased, that Hebrew word. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, is just the example. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. It is the love that God has for his people Israel in the Old Testament and the love that he has for his church and each and every Christian in this building. It is the love that never fails and is unending. In the book of Lamentations, which was written um, after Jerusalem was destroyed, it was written by Jeremiah, and Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians and God's people were taken into captivity, Jeremiah took comfort in the fact that, as he says in Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. We can take comfort in and have confidence in the love of God, the love that God has for us. And because it is a steadfast and faithful love, it never fails. And this is the love that we should have for God and others. In fact, just across the page, at least the page in my Bible, um, Proverbs 19.22 says this. It says, what is desired in a man is steadfast love. So for those of you in the room um, that are married, when you were planning your wedding, whether you were uh, the husband or the wife, when you were planning the wedding, I can pretty much guarantee that none of you went through the, the vows and, and picked and chosen. okay, for better, for, poor, for richer, for poor, okay, we'll go with rich. All right, for, for sickness and health, okay, we'll go with health. That, that was not uh, either or, right? It was not optional. They were there. Um, it's a both and, and it's there because that's the love that we desire. That's the love that we desire to receive from people, a steadfast love that doesn't change, whether sickness and health, whether richer for poor, whether whatever. That's the love that we desire to have from people. That's the love that we desire to show to other people. And that's the desire that even God calls us to. In the book of Hosea, Chapter 6, verse 6, he says this, this is God, for I desire steadfast love, 
and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In Hosea's day, and often in the history of Israel, the people seemed to get into a trend where they would, they would offer the sacrifices as God required. All right? Remember, this is what God's rules. We'll follow his rules. We'll offer his sacrifices. We'll, 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 do, the outward, we'll do the outward thing. But their hearts were not in it. And so God said to Hosea and the people of Israel, and he repeated it often, what I desire is steadfast love, not just the sacrifices that you're, that you're giving me because you're, you're sacrificing, but I know your heart's not in it. And so God doesn't just want us to proclaim our love or even just the outward signs of obedience. He wants us to have a genuine, faithful love for him and others. Others desire us to show steadfast love. God desires us to show steadfast love. It's not a bad thing to have a love like God, but in our verse here, it is a reproach to him for someone to claim or proclaim that they have a love that resembles God's and yet in reality have nothing of the sort. And that's what this proverb is implying to us, that there are many out there that are proclaiming out loud that they have a great love for others, and yet they don't. We can tell this, um, we, we can tell by the, the word that follows, the but there in Proverbs 20, verse 6, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, there's this up here, that there's many that are claiming this, but there's few that truly have it but a faithful man who can find. You know, on Mother's Day, uh, we often look at Proverbs 31. And, and the, the familiar question from that passage is an excellent wife who can find, right? That's most of us, when we, a lot of us, when we think of Proverbs and popular verses, that one's one that comes to mind. Well, there's one for, for men as well. Here, Proverbs 20, verse 6, but a faithful man who can find? The question in itself implies that it's, it's difficult or rare. There are few faithful men to be found. Now, often we think of men being faithful or unfaithful. We think of the area of marriage and, and, and sexual faithfulness to one's wife. But that's just one area. It's an important area, but that's just one area of many of, a fa- of faithfulness for a man. We can understand from the contrast in this verse that there are many who claim steadfast love, but few who have it. And so we can reason that the one who is a faithful man is one who manifests a steadfast love. Love for his God, love for his wife, love for family, and for those around him. There are many ways in which we could illustrate or apply this, but let me sum it up with just one in in, in words that Paul used. 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. So Paul was writing to Timothy, who was a spiritual child of his, somebody that he had mentored, that he had helped uh, raise up in in spiritual leadership. Timothy was now a, a leader in the church, and he writes this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, that is the gospel, God's word, those things that you have heard from me, that you have learned from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
So in short, as men, we must receive the word of God and pass it on to others. We must be committed to receiving God's word from him and committed to passing it on to others as well. So the challenge for men in verse 6 is to be committed to having a faithful and steadfast love for God, love for family, and for others. And we go on in verse 7, and it says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. And now I would like to approach this verse a little differently. Let's take the second half first, and then we'll come back to the first half of the verse. Blessed are his children after him. I doubt there's a, a parent or fa- a father or parent in this room that doesn't want the best for his child, that doesn't wish that his child would be blessed by God. All right? Most of everybody in this room loves their children. I want to see my children be blessed. I want to see them um, <clears throat> do well. And, and all of us are probably praying, Lord, watch over and bless my child because we love them and we know that God is, can bless them if he chooses. But the question for us fathers and for us parents is this, what role do we play, what part do we play in seeing my kids be blessed? Right? I mean, if there is a part to me uh, something that, that my role, my responsibility in seeing, making sure that my kids are blessed, wouldn't I want to do that? Wouldn't that be something that I want to know about? And so this is what this verse here, the second half, is, is kind of indicating. Blessed are his children. It should pop something into our mind. Well, well how, how is that? What, what does that mean for me? What is my role? What is my responsibility? And of course, we have the first part there. The verse says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. The father's role, uh, fathers, the role that we play in blessing our kids is by walking in integrity. Now, the Hebrew word here for integrity implies genuineness. It implies reliability. It's also translated in some verses as honorable or honest. So the man with integrity is not one one way in one situation and completely different in another. We need to be genuine and reliable men. That's what God is calling us to. That's what God is challenging us with, being genuine in that we have a genuine concern, a genuine love, a genuine care for those around us. Reliable in that we are consistently, genuinely caring for those around us. Remember, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. And the Bible calls David a man of integrity. In Psalm 78, um, we have Asaph, one of the psalm writers, recounting God's faithfulness and guidance of Israel, saying this about David. This is what he said about David. He said, from following the nursing ewes, so David was a shepherd, right? He started out as a humble shepherd boy. He brought him, God brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance, with upright heart. That's the word integrity there, the the word translated integrity there. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. David himself tells us about his commitment to integrity in Psalm 101. He says, I will ponder the ways of the, the way that is blameless Oh, when will you come to me? 
I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. There's, there is the biggest challenge for dads, for fathers, for men, for all of us. If we're going to walk in integrity, the biggest challenge we're going to have is in our own house, right? Because we can, we, can, we can go to work and we can... We can kind of we could kind of fake integrity at work, you know. We could be reliable, that sort of thing. But what we what we truly are is most often revealed at home. And so David here is his, he's ex- uh, proclaiming his commitment to walking with integrity of heart within his own home. One of the most challenging things for a man to do. Um, and so he goes on and he says, "I will not set I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless." I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. David's commitment to integrity caused him to shun evil and keep it far away. So often with temptation, when we struggle with temptation, we're, we, we easily we, we, we try to keep it nearby. That's the problem. We, we, we try to hang around it, but, but avoid it. All right. Just like in the story of Joseph, Joseph fled. All right. When temptation came, Joseph fled. David, when he was committed to integrity in his heart, he said, I'm going to stay as far away from evil as I possibly can. He was committed to keeping his heart pure and staying far away from evil. Again, that was David, the father of Solomon, who Solomon again was writing these proverbs to his son. They're trying to pass down wisdom from generation to generation. And when Solomon became king, God said this to him, and I'll read it. I, it was uh, quite a few verses, so I didn't put it up there for you. So sit back and listen. First Kings chapter 9, verses 4 through 7. After David died, um, Solomon became king, and this is what God said to him. He said, As for you, Solomon, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for myself, for my name, I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become, listen to this, a proverb and a byword among the people. You know how we've been talking about some, a lot of times proverbs is like, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this. God's saying, if, if, if you don't follow me, if you don't, follow after your father David in integrity of heart, you will become a proverb, one of the don't do this things for others to see. Unfortunately, this came true uh, because Solomon was led away from the Lord um, by, by the, the fact that his many wives insisted that they continue to worship the gods that, they, that came from their land. And Israel was led astray down a path away from God and to their own destruction. Fathers, it is our responsibility not just to say the right words or do the right deeds, but to walk 
in integrity and humility before God. Proverbs 10.9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. Unfortunately, both David and Solomon had times where they made their paths crooked and, and, and fell into sin and temptation, and their families suffered for it. And when I think through that, I think, wow, Solomon, the wisest man in all the world. Um, David, um, a man after God's own heart. Both these guys fell, fell flat, right? You know, David with his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, having Uriah killed, and Solomon walking away from God because of his, his, the, the other idols and the other gods that they followed. My first thought is, man, if it, it happens to these guys, what chance do I have? You know, what chance do I have as a, as a normal guy, right? And the truth is, I don't stand a chance on my own. We don't stand a chance on our own. But thanks be to God, his steadfast love never changes and never fails, and we can always come to him and find forgiveness. We can always come to him for help. Paul writes this in Philippians 2.13. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's only by the work of God and his Holy Spirit that he has put in us that we can fight to walk in integrity and that we can walk as faithful and steadfast loving men. And it's his spirit that works within us. So, man, let us, let us be faithful in steadfast love and walk humbly in integrity before God, our families, and the world so that our children can receive the blessing of knowing and living with a godly example and a real man. And it's not... It's interesting because it's not Christians, it's not only Christians that are saying, hey, this looking around at the world and saying, boy, we have a, a problem of absent fathers, absent dads, and, and a lot of the, the, the addictions and struggles and things that kids are growing up with they're, they're, are linked back to the father not being involved. I mean, even the world is saying that. Even, even you can, you'll see it even on the news. And it's, it's an amazing thing if the news is really actually willing to admit something that, that's, that's true. Um, and so the, there's, I mean, we all know there's a crisis out there for, for fathers who are lacking, fathers who are absent. But in the church, it ought not to be so. And so let the challenge be today to us men, to us fathers, coming from these two verses here in Proverbs. Men, let us be committed to faithfulness to showing a steadfast love to our wives, to our children, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our enemies, to those around us, and especially to our God. And let us be committed to living in integrity. And through the grace of God, that Paul says, hey, by the grace of God, teach this on to faithful men, teach this on to others. By the grace of God, we can walk in integrity and our kids will be blessed. That's the blessing that our kids can receive. With the absent fathers, the kids don't receive that blessing of, here's a good example of what a godly man looks like, a protector, a defender, someone who truly loves you as a man. That's the blessing that we can pass on to our children, and they can pass on then to their children. 
So this is a challenge, especially to me and to the rest of us here, fathers, husbands, men, wives, kids, walking in faithfulness, learning to love God, love others with a steadfast, unchanging love, and being committed to integrity in our daily lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.